Welcome to the 34th episode of the No Degree Podcast. These your host, Janai Iqbal, and today's guest is John Manley. John started his career as a comedian. He wrote comedy for 40 hours a week for five years straight. The life of a comedian is rough, and the highest he ever earned in a single year was $18,000. He then transitioned into sales. At first, he didn't know what he was doing, but he knew he could outwork everyone around him. In just his first month, he made the highest sales in his group. He doubled his salary shortly and continued to increase his salary. He currently makes $540,000 a year and mentors others so they can increase their sales ability. Listen to learn how he utilizes non-traditional background to outperform people with college degrees and move up the rank. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show isn't possible without you. Let's get this show started. Hey, John, do you mind introducing yourself to the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So, John Manley, uh, I am the Senior Vice President of Sales for a $220 million national technology company today. Wow. So, what does a Senior Director of Sales do? So, most of my day, and this is what I love, this is where my heart is, most of my day is spent directly engaged with end-user customers. So, throughout my career, customers have been the cornerstone and... The nice thing about always staying engaged with them is you know, you always have your kind of your thumb on the pulse. You always know what's most important to them. You never get caught in kind of mid-management level. Okay, cool. So let's kind of really take it back. How'd you sort of get into this position? And let's take it back to high school. How was school like for you in high school? And what'd you want to be in high school? School is a funny topic for me. So I went to homeschool for most of my schooling years. And my parents' methodology was, we don't know how to do it, so figure it out yourself, which made school very challenging. However, it made me a phenomenal problem solver, which it turned out probably to be one of the best gifts in my life. I briefly went to a Baptist school during high school. I was expelled. And then <laughs> I graduated Do you mind sharing home. that story? or is too- It came down to, I didn't like to show my work and I didn't like to spend a tremendous amount of time on religious studies. I wanted to focus on math and logic and things like that. And we had a difference of opinion and they didn't care for it. So... They kicked me out, graduated from No punches were thrown at no anyone. Punches were, <laughs> no punches were thrown, no, <laughs> thankfully. But yeah, I did. I, I got expelled when I was 17. I ended up graduating from homeschool. What I wanted to be at that point was 18. <laughs> that was as far as my vision went when I was in high school. I had no long-term aspirations of any kind. Now, when I did turn 18, for a long period of my life, I was really focused on being a stand-up comedian. So I dedicated a lot of my resources to that. And then I kind of branched off from there as I continued to get older. So that was the beginning of my journey. How long were you a stand-up comedian? Did you make a, was that your full-time gig or you had something to sort of support that? Because I know sometimes comedians do it. It's not easy. Yeah, it is not easy. And it depends on what you mean. My full-time gig in the aspect of it's the only thing that paid me, yes. Was it paying me enough to survive? Only by the fact that I had no other money. <laughs> so I did get by doing that and a few other odds and ends. And wait, so what year was this? Like when this you were saying- was back in 2001 through 2005. Let's go into that. Like someone wants to be a stand-up comedian. Like how is that road and how much would someone get paid? When you start off, you get paid nothing. And to go that route, the, so there's pros and cons to stand-up comedy. One, it's a blast. I've always been a, a bit introverted, uh, naturally. So I was never a big people person. Several comedians the, are. I've seen that when you get on stage, it's a different person. It's an act and all that. 
and it changes things. And people would always ask me, they're like, well, aren't you terrified to get on stage? I'd be terrified that people would hate me. And the mindset I took was, I want to do this and life is short. So the worst thing that's going to happen is a crowd hates me and I'll just move on and I'll, I'll improve my message, my jokes, right? I'll make my jokes better. Because they didn't hate me, they hated my jokes. From a mindset that really helped me, and that is a that's a lesson that I've carried over into sales all these years later. So if you want to be a stand-up comedian, I suggest making sure that you have a really clear understanding of man. It'd be difficult today in 2020 because we live in such a an interesting world, especially now because comedy you have to push the boundaries. But now it's like you have to push the right amount of boundaries, and it makes it a little tough. It makes it tough because, it's your, like you said, it's your job to push the boundary. But if you push too far, you're going to get a lot of backlash on it. I would say the biggest advice I can give someone is truly be yourself. And if an audience doesn't care for the message or jokes you're giving, maybe they're not the right audience for you. But stick with it. Here's what I did. I spent 10,000 hours writing, approximately. I tracked how long I wrote jokes and how long I wrote my material for. And I was, I was at about 10,000 hours wow. by the time And I over got the done. course of how long? That was over a course of five years. Okay, I wrote, so like, I wrote that's a full-time job, like 2,000 hours, 2,040 hours. Wow. Right. That is the number one tip that I can give you because you will build and refine your voice and your message. And then it's just a matter of figuring out who your correct audience is to talk to. Interesting. So you mentioned that who your right audience is. Like as a stand-up comedian, do you sort of get to choose the audience or it's like, hey, I have to go to this style of club? How does that work? You can, to a degree, you can, but you can understand what venues will be better than other venues, right? You can understand, hey, if I go to a small-time country bar, I'm going to generally get this type of demographic. If I go to an inner-city club, I'm going to get this type of demographic. You're doing your best to guess what your audience will be and what they're going to appreciate so that you can craft your message the best you can. Same thing that you do in sales, right? Understand who your target person is and then do your best to craft what they want to hear. Yeah. So you're writing 40 hours a week. How many hours are you performing? Uh, generally about five. If you don't mind sharing, how much would someone get paid? If they get past the free level, then what's the next level? And what's the second <laughs> level after that? So $20 to $500 was generally my, you know, like a, a fair range. It wasn't paying me very much money. When I turned 25, the most I'd ever made in a year was $18,000. How'd you survive? I lived in my brother's attic. I didn't really have much of a car. And we didn't have very many bills. And, you know, you get by with what you get by. I fished for food. Wow. I mean, you're truly resourceful. So eventually you came to a point where you're obviously very funny. You know your stuff, but it's just tough, right? There's so many factors and, and timing and luck meeting the right person. It's, it's just show business in general. It is show business in general. Correct. It, what I learned, why I ended up kind of getting off that path was I got married. And with show business, stand-up comedy, things like that, you have to travel constantly. And I decided that when I first got in my first business-to-business -business sales opportunity, I could use the same skill set. I could still use how do I engage my audience? How do I figure out what their psychology is? And I can do it from my home or I can do it from an office. I never have to travel or very rarely. So I was able to use that same skill set that I, I spent five years building. And I was just able to do it more from a, a business setting versus a stand-up comedy setting. So now you're applying for a job. So you figured, okay, I could work in an office and sales makes sense, right? Communication. How is the interview like? Because you're like, you're going in and then probably your resume is like, hey, I make people laugh like 3,000 times. I wrote for this many hours. How did that transition come? 
So I was, what I felt in my mind and what I was saying were two different things, right? I felt massively unqualified. Like I mentioned, I was just married and I really desperately wanted to get the opportunity to make sure I was ta- financially taking care of my wife, that we were doing it together and I was contributing my half, uh, you know, at least. So from a language perspective to them, I said, I don't have the experience that most of your candidates have, but what I do have is the drive. And I, I use the analogy of the hours. I'm like, I've been doing stand-up comedy for five years. I've spent 10,000 hours writing. I focus, I refine, and you give me a chance. And the one thing you won't be disappointed in is how much effort that I give you. I will give it everything I possibly have. And a lot of salespeople, that's their biggest weakness a lot of times is... Maybe they have the skills, maybe they have the experience, and maybe they have the education, but they don't have the commitment. Did you have a lot of interviews or was it just like one? one. Wow. How'd you get the interview? Monster.com. I don't even know if that's still a site. No, no. Monster's days, still but... pretty big. I mean, it's not as... In 2005, it was like huge, right? Before Indeed took over, but the Monster still pretty big. Yeah, Monster.com. So, so you got that job. <laughs> so now you got the job. Now, how was it? So obviously, you went from a different setting to a more structured setting. Did you struggle with that a little? Just Or was it? it was pretty easy? I threw myself at it as fast and hard as I could. So the paying job that I had right before I started was a telemarketer. So I was making $7.25 an hour when I was working, plus doing the stand-up comedy. So I was able to transition that. And I just threw everything I possibly had at it. And I didn't have time to try to even adjust. I said, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what I'm doing. But if I do my best to outwork everybody, and I don't want to be generic with that advice, but I was coming from being a telemarketer. So when I did work, I was making about 280 to 320 phone calls a day. The average person there was making 17 to 25. It was a big confidence booster to me that all these guys are making 100 grand a year. I'm making 18,000 a year, but I could outwork them by 12 times. So I said, I can make 12 times the amount of calls in you. So maybe I'm going to fail more, but hopefully that's going to work out for me. How'd you make 12 times as more call? Like what, what were they doing? Like <laughs> you're, you're picking up the phone like nonstop. I never hung up the phone. You're, a couple years later, I don't know if you ever saw the movie, The Pursuit of Happiness with Will Smith. It, this was, that came out a few years later. It was the same thing that he was doing in the movie is that he, I had an Excel spreadsheet and I never hung up the phone. I just dialed as fast as I could dial and I could do about 40 phone calls per hour. I had no idea what I was doing. I had no refined message or refined value. But man, I was just dialing as fast. I was just trying to get lucky, right? I was playing the lottery as much as I could every day. And then how'd it go? Like when you made those first phone calls? First month? First month, I landed five new business customers. Is that a lot or a little? It's a lot. It's a lot in the in the technology of our world. So I I do technology, business to business, reselling. Uh, Most people land about two. I landed five, which is from a general ranking, probably like an all-star level. And I didn't really realize it. I just thought, I was like, yeah, I got lucky a few times. And then I built and I built and I built. And six months later, I was the only one left out of my training class of 17 that was still there. Two years later, I was seventh in the company. Were you still making that many calls or eventually you got like better? You got, you understood more, you were more strategic about it. Both, all of those are are true. It's a linear path or kind of a curved path. So two years in, I was averaging 120 phone calls a day. So a lot less phone calls, but a lot more inbound. And over the years now, I've learned the importance of strategic calling versus just mass blanketing calling, right? You got to be, who am I going to target? How am I going to target them? And how can I be strategic with my message? Did the other, did your coworkers know that you came from like this non, that you're this comedian? They did. They did. And they made fun of me for it. 
<laughs> they did in her office joking all right i mean they're prodding me but i was the only one in the entire company there who did not have a college education people tend to look down at least in your mind when, at least to me when i started people tend to look down on me maybe i was just looking down on myself because i'm like all these people here have been four years they all have these degrees they all have this business experience i don't have any of these things i was like i hope i can be successful if i just focus on making a lot of calls and i asked myself the question what do I think is missing in today's customer service America? And that's what I tried to focus on during my message. So after like two years, three years, I started gaining people's respect because I started passing the people that had been there for five years, 10 years, 20 years. I started passing them in sales numbers. The first month you landed the five, you did a lot of phone calls. First, you thought you got lucky. When that mindset sort of changed, like when were you like, you know what? I actually Sort of do. And when did you start knowing more? Because in the beginning, you're just like, I got this job. I'm sort of winging it. Things are happening. When did you wing it less? <laughs> That's a funny expression. Six months in, I thought, you know, I think I might actually make it. Two years in, I was fully confident that I would be successful selling technology. So after six months, I said, you know what, John, I think you got it. I think, I think you're going to make it. You're not, it no longer seems like you're getting lucky. It seems like you're building here. And then two years in, you know, I was like, you know what? I do have this. I'm not going to fail at this point. So it took me two years to realize I would not fail. Two years, six months. Now, the first month was five deals. What was the next? If you don't mind four, me sharing, was no, it? No, no. I got four new customers the next month. Okay. And was it like kind of like that five and you were always sort of like, wow, the com- this guy without a college degree who just like cracks jokes is Right. And us. I was relying on comedy a lot. I was relying on lucky timing and being as funny as I could. Crack people off, lower their defenses down a little bit, try to seem as personal as possible. It's the only thing I had. I didn't understand. I didn't know how anything else about business to business or relationship selling. So I was like, I'm going to try to be as funny. I'm going to try to use my skill set, right? I'll try to be funny and I'll try to be personal. So how was that in terms of, right? You wrote that 10,000 hours. Did you sort of write like, hey, I should have done this or this would have made it funnier or you were just kind of so comfortable with it as a comedian that this was a much easier environment. It was an easier environment to me. I It never scared me. And I've refined off never being scared off of that because I just, especially to this day, and this is a really big piece of advice for people who have never done sales or cold calling or they have a fear of rejection. The rejection is never personal. Even if you fail, it's never personal. Even if you get hung up on screen bed, it's never personal. Your message failed. What you said failed. What you tried failed. So track why it failed and replace it. It's never you. Even if you're going to get better, you did it the best you could. So just refine what you said and try it again. Share as much as you feel comfortable with. What, what, how much? So you went from 18. Now, how much would you? So the first year in technology, I had a $27,500 base rate. I ended up making $36,000 the first year. So I doubled my income. I was thrilled. Over the next four years after that, I got I climbed up to 77000 which was the most by far I had ever made in my life. I was ecstatic, but I was no longer satisfied with the company that I worked for because I felt like they were holding me back. They had a different vision of what it means to be successful in sales than I did. They weren't long-term focused. They were quarterly or monthly focused. So I switched companies. I've switched companies one time in 14 years. Last year, 2019, I made 540000 an interesting journey that I've gone on over the last 14 years. And I... <laughs> That's why I was drawn to your you and your show was you're hitting it right on the head. You don't need a college education. And some people don't have the option of having a college. And I didn't. It never crossed my mind. I didn't have the financial resources. People in my family don't go to college. 
And I always felt that held me back until I finally got the opportunity to really go after something that I was passionate about. And here I am 14 years later. You obviously, whatever, you multiplied your income by so much. Looking back, did you ever think like, wow, I could be there? Or it was just like, it was a totally different... No, I when I started at technology sales, the top earner in that company was making about 240000 a year. And it blew my mind. I said, how do you possibly make that much money doing sales? It, it blew my mind. And you know, here I am years later. I still know the guy. Now I make more than he does. And I give him a hard time over it. It never crossed my mind that I would make so much money in my life. Now I get paid more than a brain surgeon just to do what I love to do. It's incredible. No, that's that's so phenomenal. So going along the way, now two years in, you made that was like a big confidence thing. Now, what was the next level of growth? Because you have this confidence. Now, what, what was the next step? Like you have the confidence. Now it's like, and what? how did it look like? Now I started thinking two years in, once you realize you're not going to fail, now you stop looking at today and you start thinking five years out, right? Because now I'm no longer worried about just trying to keep my head over water. Now I say, well, where am I going to be in five years and 10 years from now? And I got to lay out a roadmap to get there. So that's when I started laying out my my stage two prospecting. And what I mean by that is now I'm no longer just shooting for anybody. For the longer term prospects that might take me 6, 12, 24 months to get into. But when I do... It's going to reward me forever. So I started thinking five years out. And then once I got to the five-year mark of my career, I said, you know, not only am I not going to fail at this point, but now I feel like I can really dominate the technology industry because I've had all this experience. I've grown so much. I've learned how to refine my message. I understand who an ideal customer is, what's most important to them, and I understand who to target. If you could go back at the same point in time, would you have done anything differently? I want to be specific with my answer here. I would have worked harder. And what I mean by that is I didn't understand the compounding effect that any customer can have over the course of a career. So it's easy when you start making 77000 you've only made 18000 right? You're making four times more money than you have to, to, to almost coast a little bit sometimes, right? Your, your, your foot comes off the gas a little bit, right? You start getting a little bit comfortable. I wish I just would have really stayed focused on a five-year and a 10-year goal and a plan and moving forward. And I wish I would understand really early on, like day one, that you don't need to be exceptional when you're coming into a career that you've never been, but you do need to commit yourself and you do need to be really honest with yourself of what are my strengths? What am I really good at? And let me focus all of my attention on that. I don't want to waste my time trying to get good at stuff that I'm not good at. Let me just hyper-focus on one or two things that I'm, I can really dominate. Is it being personal? Is it being funny? Is it establishing a, a human relationship? And I'm going to dump all of my energy into that. When you started working, did you ever do a stand-up gig ever again? My last time I did stand-up was 2006. So it was the year I started technology. It's not that I never wanted to go back. I love it. It's a fun thing to get on stage and do it. It's just I found such a love of sales. I could deliver the same humor, but I get paid a lot better for it. And I'm building... It's not like I go into a room of strangers now. Now I'm dealing with lifetime clientele and lifetime customers that I can continue to build rapport with. It, it was a better fit for me. I do love comedy. I, I miss it. it. It was fun. Now, in comedy, what are the mistakes a lot of comedians tend to make? And what would could you have done differently as a comedian? Like, you know, now you're looking back, you have much more experience. You're looking at a different lens. You're like, you know what? I should have done this or I should have focused on this. And maybe I would have made a little more. 
I should have worried more about what people thought was funny versus what I thought was funny. The message should have been more about what they wanted to. And I'm not saying that you should compromise your message, but you do want need to understand really clearly. I always wrote what I thought was funny in ways that I thought was funny, which is to a degree what you have to do, right? But that's not really the importance because people don't have the same sense of humor than you. I would have done more research or more thinking about what's most important to the audience of today and kind of reverse engineer that. I would have been more successful than I was. So what type of things were you selling when you were, you know, the first job you made the 37 and a half K? What were you selling? Low risk commodity items that you could buy on Amazon. That was before Amazon became who they are today. But you know, like desktop computers, notebooks, hard drives, memory, easy stuff, just normal stuff. Low risk items is what I call it. Something that somebody wouldn't have to risk anything on, but they could send it because maybe I saved them a little money or I was easy to work with, things like that. Easy stuff. So you moved up, you stayed at the company, and then what did you start selling at the next company? I Now I sell... It's funny, somebody asked me the question a couple months ago, what I sell. And I told them, well, I, now I sell the data center stack you know, from a technology point every, and everything down. But that's not what people buy off of me. People buy me as a resource. So now I sell myself. I sell my expertise, my reliability, speed, communication. And what I mean, and then I tell the customer what that means. And then the product sells itself because they are going to need it. And now I've positioned myself as their best resource for when they do need it. Now, when you originally did that, did you like understand what you were selling? Did you understand like, or you were just like, hey, you need some RAM, you press the on button? (laughs) No, when I came in, it's actually funny. When I did my interview for business technology sales, there was, I had no idea what I was doing. And there was a mail catalog sitting in the lobby. And I got there like 10 minutes early and I picked it up and wrote and scrolled through the pages to try to like familiarize myself with the terminology so that I would, I would could say, Oh yeah, PPM pages per minute or this, right? I had no idea what I was doing, but I did realize what I learned is or what I figured out is you only sell what you're comfortable to talk about. And I didn't want to miss out on maybe big voids of, of opportunity. So I said, well, how can I make myself prepared? Well, I'll write out lists of questions that cover everything that we sell so that if I get into a conversation, I can just look down on a piece of paper and I know 10 questions to ask so that I can sound intelligent and navigate my way through the call. And then over a couple of years, instead of sounding intelligent, you actually become intelligent. Do you like selling technology more or would you feel like, hey, you know what? I could really sell anything. I like the sales aspect Or, or do you like the sales of technology because... It's a good question. I've never been asked that question before. Uh, I love, I love technology. I wouldn't imagine selling anything different than selling technology. I thoroughly enjoy the sales process, and where my heart truly lies is helping people in sales who have not had a great deal of success and showing them that your past does not limit your future. I think the biggest limiting aspects for people is their vision or their lack of vision, their lack of potential that they see in their mind. That's where my heart lies. That's why I spend so much time mentoring people. That's why I have a book coming out. That's where I really have the most joy. So I love selling technology. It has given me an incredible life. I think it's fascinating. I'm a bit of a tech geek, but my heart lies in helping people see their ability to do what they can do. Did you like technology before the job? How did that develop? I theoretically like technology. I was too poor to ever have my hands on it. I like the idea. I like the gist of technology. I think my best, my first computer was a $1,600 Hewlett Packard from Best Buy. So that was my coolest piece of technology. I was always a video gamer. You know, that was probably my best association with technology. 
back in the day, at that point, it was console. At In about 06, I switched over to PC. If I have any moments of time in nowadays of my life, it'll still be on PC. Okay, okay. Interesting. So you came to love technology. And what did you do to stay on track? You obviously stayed on the gas enough that you were continually growing. How do you do that? Because multiplied your income by 6, 10x, but you still don't stop. Because a lot of people, right, coming from that low-income background, right, there's a time you do get comfortable. How'd you get past that? And how'd you sort of say, you know what? I'm still going to keep at it. I'm still going to keep getting better. I have two ways that have helped me motivate me the most. Now I have kids. So now it's three ways. One, I always remind myself that life is short. And you have a gift. I don't want this to sound cliche because it's, it's, I truly believe this. Life is very short. Time goes by very, very quick. You have a very limited span of time to do whatever you're going to do in life. And once I got married, I like to be very real with myself on setting goals. And I said, if I die in a year, if I die of a heart attack, what kind of position is my wife going to be in? Or the people in my family, the people that I love, what kind of position are they going to be in both financially and how are they going to remember me as a role model? And then I have kids now, they're four and six. And again, I want to make sure that if something happens to me, one, they're financially taken care of, but then they also know my dad started off as a telemarketer, making minimum wage, doing stand-up comedy, barely getting by financially. And this is what he was able to do in his life because he was able to really understand that rejection doesn't matter and un- being unqualified on paper does not matter. If you really, really focus on something, you'll be really surprised what you can do in life. And it will really, really shock you. Those are the biggest thing that remind me. And, and I'm a big believer in goals. Write down your goals, the first thing you do when you wake up and the last thing you do before you go to bed. And the reason you do that and why the goals are important to you. And what I mean by that is money is kind of a shallow goal. And I love money. It's been very nice to me. But it's a bit of a shallow goal. It's not going to get you through those days when things are really terrible, right? You're going to be like, ah, I'm already making a lot of money. I'm more, more than I did. I'm going to cut out early on a Friday. So I always have really substantial goals. I gave somebody the advice recently. If your goal and the reason of your goal doesn't make you cry, it's not personal enough, right? I tell people, hang a picture of your child. If you have children, hang a picture of the person you're married to. Hang a picture of whoever is most dearest in your life. Look in their eyes on the hard days and say, I'm doing this for you. To me, that has given me the motivation to really keep my foot on the gas as much as I can possibly do. What were your earlier goals when you started? So you didn't have the kids, right? You were just married. So what was the first goal? And how has that changed? Not fail. Not fail. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. My first goal was don't fail. My second goal after that, it's kind of a funny goal. We had two dogs at the time and we lived in like townhomes and apartments. I had two black labs and it was a big goal of my wife and I to make enough money so we could buy a house with a big yard before they got really old. It was a financial goal, but it was a goal that was dear to us because those, I got my first dog when I lived in a trailer, right? And so they were, they were with me the whole time. Their name was Caesar and Beast and they were with me the whole time. And it was really important to me they love to run and play and do all that stuff. So it gave me something to really shoot on. I want to get a house with a big yard that they can play in before they get super old. We did it. I got them a house. I got them a big yard and it was awesome. And then after that point, I kept financial goals until last year, actually. I had the financial goal kept ramping up to until I got up to 500,000. I hit 500,000 and I said, I'm no longer going to have a set stone, a set in stone number that I'm going to try to hit. Because now I've shifted my goal to one, just being making the most I can while helping as many people as I can and trying to really just make as much of a legacy as I can build at the same time. Interesting. And why was, you know, 500,000 that number? I don't know. Big number, unimaginable to me for most of my life. 
a big round number. You know, it's kind of a funny way of explaining. I don't know. It stuck in my head that I'll, I seemed impossible. So I always wanted to set a goal to me that seems relatively impossible that you feel like if you absolutely everything went perfect, there's a chance you can hit it, but you're going to have to, it can't be like $10 billion because it's going to be so hard. You're never going to shoot for it. So it always seemed like it was possible, but almost not achievable. During your time, was that always the goal like earlier or when you started, right? You hit your 36 or you hit your 77. Was it like, I'm going to hit 500 or it was like, oh, I'm going to hit 100. And then it ain't. First, I wanted to hit 100. Then I jumped to 300. I scaled really fast after 77. So I hit 77, then 99, then 120, then 180, then 270, and then 340. So I shot up pretty fast over the course of like that five, six year period. And then I jumped it to 500,000 because I'm like, man, I sell 300,000, I make 300,000 right now. It's an incredible amount of income. But if I sell, if I make 500,000, <laughs> that's a, that's a lot more. So it was kind of funny. And then I shot right up to 540. And I'm like, you know, why don't we take the number out of the game? Because the next number would have to be a million, right? Now, at this point, I know I'll make a million unless something holds me back. Because now I'm just shooting to make as much as I possibly can. And I'm no longer shooting. I don't want to limit myself by shooting for a million anymore. Interesting. Okay. No, it's just cool to just sort of see the perspective. And you mentioned you used to live in a trailer. So that was... That was when during the comedian days or uh, I was. Yeah. And my rent was $420 a month and I could not afford it. Yeah. It was a, a, a not a double wide. We had carpet in the bathroom. <laughs> it was not a nice place. <laughs> so how does it feel like looking back and, you know, now you could buy like multiple, you buy the whole trailer yard, right? Right. You could, man. It, it's so easy when you're when you've never seen any level of mass success consistently over time. It's easy to get lucky or something like maybe not easy, but looking back, I wish I would have understood earlier that life can really be what you make it if you're willing to put in the focus and the time and be patient and allow it to compound. Right. Wait five years, wait 10 years and just really stay focused on the future and really find what you're passionate about. They, there's a lot of advice out there in the world right now. Do what you're passionate about. Well, that's only helpful if you can monetize your passion. And I was able to monetize my passion for entertaining people and making people laugh. And I was able to figure out a way to monetize that through business to business sales. Interesting. So I just really like that. Just how you took this and you tied it into, I mean, sales, it's common. Human is very important, but you, is it common for a lot of comedians to get into sales? Not that I've seen. No. What do they get into if they, if they sort of get out? If they get out, Unfortunately, I don't see most of the ones that I know really getting into anything. They bounce. They had the love of comedy and they had the love of the high of being on stage and things like that. And that, that's hard to match. So generally, they fall into customer service, people skills, things like that. I haven't seen most of the ones that I know or any of the ones that I knew from my comedic days get into sales specifically. I've always encouraged them to do so. You get the same high, you get the same chase, right? You get the you can use the same skill set you've already built. So I think people get discouraged and then they lose their fire and they lose their passion. They lose their focus. You work with a lot of people who went to college. What, were, what was something that you had that they just didn't have just from having that different background, having that comedy that you were like, what you guys don't get this? Like, this is Man, so obvious. I, yeah. What I had that they didn't have is the a no way to fail mindset. They were cozy, right? They were like, oh, you know, I just expected. This is the mindset I got off them. I just expect to be successful. I expect to make six figures. I didn't expect anything. 
I expected to fail. I expected to be poor. And now I had an opportunity that I could see people making more money than I ever dreamed of. And I was just like, man, I'm going to hear something that's really important for people. Is when I started to listen, the listeners should really focus on this because I think it's so important. When I started, I felt very unqualified because I didn't know anything. What I learned is over my career, not knowing anything, not having a college education was the biggest asset of my sales career that forced me to look at every single step, every process, everything that I said out of my mouth. I learned by failure and by learning and refining. I didn't have any incorrect preconceived notions how to sell. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing and I'm going to fail tens of thousands of times. I quit counting at 100,000 phone calls, cold calls. I failed 99,000 of those phone calls. But now look, now I'm paid $5 a year for every one of those phone calls. And I learned and I learned and I learned and I learned by failing, 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 failing. And this doesn't work, let me replace it. This doesn't work, let me replace it. So every single process that I use today was because I personally have tested it and refined it and made it what it is. Biggest asset of my career. Wow, I love that perspective. So you have a lot of books behind you. Did you always start reading throughout your career or that was something you picked up later? I picked reading up about nine years ago is when I really started focusing on reading. And now I'm the belief that you should read or podcast or expose yourself to as much knowledge as you possibly can from as many people as you possibly can. Even if you don't fully agree with them, you're going to either pick up something that you love, something you never thought of, something that you really don't like, that you don't agree with, that you can make sure you avoid. There is nothing as instrumental as learning from as many people as you can. What book stood out early? And what caused you to start reading? Because it's not like something you always did. It was just like, hey, no, I'm going to start reading. No, it wasn't something that I always did. Um, I was looking to figure out... This is about you know five, three, four, five years into my career. I was looking to... I, I felt like I had kind of exhausted my creativity. right? I kind of pushed my creativity as far as I could of... I don't really know any other ways to get more clients and more prospecting or how to do better value definition. I was like, so let me think outside of myself a little bit. My wife's always been a book reader. So she suggested I, I start reading. The first books that really stuck out to me were Zig Ziglar. That was the best where I started my sales career with learning. And you know, Zig is an amazing storyteller. Um, if you've never read his things or if the listeners haven't, he does an amazing job of telling a story to make a point and then showing you how you can relate that to whatever you do in life. What were some other books that stood out earlier in your career that really had an impact that really boosted your creativity? Over the years now, let's see. So the people that I like as authors, and I'll go, I kind of go the whole time. So I like Grant Cardone. He uh, he writes, he had a couple of really fantastic books out there. Gary Vaynerchuk has a couple of really fantastic books out there as well. The best book I've ever read on negotiation is by Chris Voss, V-O-S-S, Never Split the Difference. Fantastic Did you ever book. read um, Secrets of Power Negotiating by Roger Dawson? I own it, but I haven't read it. It's in my bookcase behind me. I haven't got to it yet. It's a good book. If I recommend two books for negotiation, it's Chris Voss and that. Because I feel like Chris Voss goes into the soft side, really understanding sales as a philosophy, understanding that. Whereas Roger Dawson goes into the actual tactics. Like, hey, when someone's doing this, they're pulling this on you. And this is how you do it. So he breaks down the actual tactics and strategies. 
if I were to read one first, I would read Roger Dawson as a younger one. Then you understand, okay, here are the ways to, oh, this guy's pulling this on you. This guy's doing this. Oh, this is how you get past that. Then Chris Voss is the one that really fills in and helps you understand that human element aspect. Exactly. Yeah, I haven't, but I have it behind me. I will. I will. I mean, honestly, you just need to just for you at your level, you know, you've probably seen it all. You would just need to skim the titles. Yeah, you can see it all. But seeing how somebody else like seeing reading Chris, I read Chris's boss's book, I don't know, three years ago, maybe something like that. I did Audible and then I bought the book as well. Just when you get somebody who focuses, right? Chris Voss was an FBI negotiator. So he spent his whole life during negotiations and, and things like that. Just the way that they can spell out the human psychology part of it that maybe you always took for granted. Maybe you didn't realize you knew the lesson. And then you read it and you're like, oh, that's why that works. And that's why that doesn't work. And it just helps you refine a little bit more. I like your perspective. It's just, it's good. It makes sense why you are as successful as you can. What are some other books that sort of really help you that people wouldn't think, right? People think of, hey, Negotiation, Chris Voss. What are some books you're like, wow, this book helped me. And it's like something really out there or really different. You know, let me think about that question for a second. I'm not going to give you a couple of specific names, but uh, like uh, I'm reading one now. I think it's called The Catalyst, The Catalyst of Change, something like that. So I'm a big believer in human psychology, not just sales books. You have to understand psychology before you can understand. Anybody can read a closing technique. You have to understand what causes someone to like you or not like you, like your message. The book I'm reading right now is called The Black Swan. It's an awesome book. So I'm a big believer in understanding neuroscience and the psychology behind who your ideal customer is. Any book that you can get your hands on that really gives you a window into the soul, essentially, is more valuable than one that just talks processes or strategies. How many books would you say you sort of read in, you know, like a month or a year kind of thing? 40 to 50 a year. So you're doing like one, almost like one a week. About one a week, probably on average. And I do a mix of audio, like audible, audible books, as well as uh, physical books. What are some things outside of reading that salespeople can really do? Outside of reading, then, you know, if you have different platforms that you want to study to start there, I love podcasts. I think they're fantastic for people who travel. YouTube videos are really fantastic. And then do what I did back in my stand up comedy days write, 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 write your message, write your value definition. And write it, test it, re- check the results, track the results. I'm a linear type of guy. I'm a linear type of mindset that I've developed over the years. So I would write out five rebuttals, five openings to a cold call, five ways to close somebody. And then I would mathematically track the results 100 times each, drop the bottom three, replace them again, and write, 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 and polish them, look at them, review them, know them like the back of your hand. Wow. Where'd you get that? Did you learn it in a book or is it just like, no, that one that that part came naturally from my stand up comedy days. It's just you know I with stand up comedy I just I wanted to have a, a refined message, a joke, whatever it is. I wanted to have it as polished as I possibly could, and I always wanted to make sure that I didn't feel like I failed. If a joke flopped, let's replace it, throw it out, do it again. So when you're watching stand-up comedy, how does a comedian watch comedy? You view it in a different lens. I just go, I just laugh, and whatever. I, I think about the insight, but you have a different... You think about how long they pause. You look at the hand gestures. You look at the eye contact. You look at... You do. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like when you write a book or something like that, right? You no longer become like a spectator. You become more of a, of a critic, right? 
because then you're looking at why why are they doing what they're doing? Why did they pause there? Why are they using the body language that they're doing? What's the structure of that they're doing? Why did that joke resonate with people? And, and I love comedy. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of amazing comedians out there these days. You kind of lose your spectator approach on it, and you start looking at it and really really picking it apart. Who are sort of the comedians that you still who you grew up watching and who you like today? My favorite comedian of all time was George Carlin. Awesome look and perspective and way of breaking down logic and <laughs> Carlin Carlin's hard to beat. These days probably um I don't have much time to watch it anymore. Probably uh Dave Chappelle uh would be my favorite comedian. I like Chappelle and I haven't really watched too much Carlin, but he does have a very good insight. Because you know, the best comedians, they have this world insight and they really break it down and they relate and they make you just be like, why? Right. And Carlin is amazing at that. If you ever if you look at watch, if you get some spare time, watch some Carlin on YouTube. He has the one with the you can sell sex or you can sell something and you can do that. But why can't you do this? Right. Is that his line? I don't remember the line, but it could have been. He's got a lot of stuff. I own like four or five of his books, too. Yeah, Carlin is very awesome at, you know, like Carlin, they pull a lot of YouTube stuff from Carlin now with COVID stuff going on and things like that. Because Carlin was of the mindset that people say a lot of dumb things they don't think about. People use a lot of expressions. People, you know, kind of just follow the herd and follow the mentality. And I thought Carlin did a really awesome job at understanding psychology. That's always been a draw to me is kind of picking apart. Why do people do what the people do? How can you be different? How can you be yourself? How do you not follow the crowd? If you were to have a different career, what do you think you would have gotten into? Today, motivational training, uh, motivational speaking and sales training. And when I say sales training, I don't mean while it's necessary to understand processes and strategies. It's I'm, I'm a very big believer, like I, I mentioned, that people just need to understand their potential and then be given the tools to use that potential. Well, here's what's most effective that you can then integrate with yourself. If I did anything else in life today... That's what it would be. Before I got into comedy, I almost did. I almost became a chef. Um, so that was the one path I almost went down. Why the chef? I love cooking and I love eating. <laughs> so I'm good at it. I have a gift for cooking and I love it. It's fantastic. I think you should eat well, the best you can. Yeah. Now you have different goals. You hit your numbers. You hit that. And you mentioned you want to help people. What's sort of like the next thing? What's sort of the challenge for you now? The next primary goal in my life is have my book published, get that out to many people as I possibly can. Now I'm more focused on long term. I pushed the book out during COVID because things slowed down a little bit for me. I had a little bit of spare time. And I kind of made a reference to this before. If my kids are four and six, if I die when they're 16, I want them to have my book, the book I wrote and writing, I'm almost done with it. But it hits on sales, it hits on psychology, but it's a roadmap to mentality of success, right? Of not understanding that, re- understanding that rejection is not personal and things like that. So my book is very, very dear and important to me. And I'm thinking 10 years, 20 years down the road, what do I want to be doing at 60? I probably won't be doing technology sales, not because I don't absolutely love it, but because life is short. And I won't financially in any way whatsoever have to do it. So... I'll have to do something else because you have to stay motivated. You have to stay inspired. You have to figure out new ways to challenge yourself. So eventually, I want to get into motivational speaking. And when I say that, I, a lot of my attention has been going towards like nonprofits and charities and helping people who didn't have the opportunities as children or as kids to really see the world for what it is and help them see more of their potential. 
Now, what advice would you have for someone at 18 today, right? Given today's environment, the difference in technology, the different opportunities that are available, what advice do you have if they're either trying to get into comedy or they're trying to get into sales? The world is not against you and the world is not for you. The world doesn't care. And I don't mean it just is what it is. It just is. You're nobody until you become somebody. And I, and I don't mean that as a negative or a positive. You're not entitled to anything, but the world is also not out to get you, to stop you, to slow you down. The world is not fair. The world is not unfair. Things are just the way things are. And it's really on you to figure out what you want to do. And you might not know at 20. I didn't know at 20. I switched a few times. But whatever you're going to do, make sure that one, you do your best to love it. And if you can monetize your passion, do it. If you're working in a job that you do not like, and there is something that you love to do, say you're working as an analyst, say you're working at whatever, Walmart, and you really have a love for physical fitness, and you'd love to be a physical trainer. Well, maybe you can't make the switch to physical trainer today because you can't afford to. But what you can do is start investing two hours, four hours, six hours at night when you're not working at Walmart, when you're not working at the job you work at. Invest every moment of your time to chasing that passion because two years, three years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, you're finally going to be able to make that, that switch. But if you don't start doing it, you'll never get there and you're always going to feel stuck and time goes by really, really fast. So let's slowly start to wrap up. I'll kind of leave the floor to you. Is there any story you want to share? Anything you want to just leave off on for the audience that you think would they'd find value? Or tell, no, I'm not going to tell you tell a joke. You're not supposed to tell a comedian to tell a joke. <laughs> no, I always hate it when people tell me to tell a joke. They're like, tell me a joke. Be funny. Laugh, funny man. Laugh. You know? So, you know, I mean, there are so many funny stories and, and so many interesting stories. Of the, you know, one of the last things I did as a telemarketer was we came in one night and the phone systems were down and they're all like, well, who is comfortable or not comfortable calling Spanish people to get them to, to buy cable TV, you know, Spanish speaking people. And I was like, well, I don't speak Spanish. And they're like, well, we don't care. Just, you know, read the script and keep them on the phone long enough to get them to buy it. And then they can always call can't later to cancel. And I was the only one, my wife and I was the only, my wife worked with me and we were the only two that objected. And we actually got wrote up and we got sent home. The reason I share that story, though, is you don't have to tolerate lowering your morals and lowering your ethics just because you're pinched financially, right? Because that was a beautiful thing. The thing that just made me shake my head and was like, why would you possibly ever do this? A month later, I got my first job in business-to-business relationship sales, and I remembered that lesson forever. I didn't lower myself to their standard to like, I'll just try to get by and blend in. Hold yourself to your line of what you believe is right and wrong, and life will give you an opportunity more than you can ever possibly imagine. All right. Thank you so much for your time, John. It was absolutely phenomenal to hear your story, how you really came from really nothing and just utilize your talent, utilize that drive. And it's definitely an inspiration. How would someone get in contact with you? Best way to get in contact with me is on LinkedIn. Right now, my site, well, actually, my website will be up, should be finished in about two weeks. So around 9-15, September 15th. Uh, but LinkedIn is the best way to get me right now. It's just uh, John, which is J-O-N, Manley, M-A-N-L-E-Y. And then in two weeks, you can go to my site, which is johnmanley.com. But I love connecting with people. I love people who are have the mindset that we help each other as a community online. 
you find people who are passionate and are excited and love what they do. And maybe they're at the beginning of their career. Maybe that's the late stage of their career. But you look for the people who surround yourself that are going to help propel you forward. And I love to connect with those people. Okay. Thank you so much for your time, John. I really appreciate you. I learned a lot. It was very informative. And I'll definitely, one day I'll hear a joke from you when you're Have a good one. I appreciate you. Thank you. No, man. Thank you. I I really appreciate your great, your great question. So thank you. Thank you to the No Degree audience. And I hope you had a wonderful time in this episode. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com. Yeah, so you got no degree? No problem. No problem. Any problem, we can solve them. We got this. Linked insomnia. Keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. If you didn't know, now you know. Let's sing that again, everybody. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing and knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree. No problem, any problem we can solve them. LinkedIn Somnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going.